HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, this is a special show. I, I was driving up to Vermont to do some radio shows, and I ended up uh, staying in Cambridge, New York, and I didn't want to go any further. And, and I've been a big fan of New York Ag for a long time, and we've got some great people with us. So let's do a quick introduction to everybody around the room. Uh, first, uh, a, a good farmer friend of mine, Michael. I'm Mike Yezzi. I'm the farmer owner of Flying Pigs Farm. And Michael, I've known you a long time. I mean, how long have you been farming in this area? Uh, we uh, we did a farm, the farmhouse in the late '90s. Had our first pigs in 2001, um, and I've been going to the green markets uh, since then and doing it full time for over 13 years. You know, in Washington County is where we're at. Your farm's been in Shushan, New York. You know, I'm really a city guy, and knowing what you do through growing my seed green markets and a lot of different farmers over the years I've met, I've wanted to come up here, so I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And uh, and, and you, Michael, and, and, and Claire Harton have introduced me to some great people, including here, uh, Nate, you're an apple farmer. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Jimmy. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the apple business. Um, um, grandfather, my great-grandfather, number of generations, been in the fruit business, grew up at Green Mountain Orchards, Putney, Vermont, did an investor project where we planted a lot of Granny Smith in South Carolina and came back up here and settled in New York in 94. So I've been here 23 years here at Saratoga Apple, where we grow about 40 acres of 40 or 50 different varieties of apples, which we uh, market throughout the year at farmers markets and at our year-round farm market uh, here on Route 29 in Skylerville. That's great. All right. And apples are a big part of the of the economy up here, it seems to be. And you also are in Vermont, and there's connections with Vermont and New York, and we'll talk about that. And, and another long-time uh, 
farmer family guy who's opened a farm brewery license establishment. Hi, I'm uh, Matt Stewart. I'm one of the owners of Argyle Brewing Company based out of uh, Greenwich, New York, and also at our second location in uh, Cambridge, New York. Um, we're the first farm brewery in uh, Washington County, and it's a really proud thing to say for that. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm multiple generation the dairy farming family, sheep farming families, um, going back to the late 1700s. And uh, it's just nice to be able to work with uh, aspects of the county and to uh, essentially give back. It's a wonderful feeling. That's great, man. We're going to learn a lot more about your family and, and, and what's going on up in this area. I know you're you're really proud of Washington County. We're, we're technically not in Washington County right now. We're over the border in Schuylerville, but um, we'll talk more about that. And Ashley, you're, you're, you've been up here. You're farming. You're raising sheep. Tell us what you brought you here. Uh, I moved here um, after my, my parents bought a farm in Cambridge, New York. I feel really lucky to um, live next door to my parents. We raise sheep together um, for meat and fiber and for sheepskins. And we also do a land management for New York State Parks with our sheep um, also. And I come from a farming family, but it's been generations uh, getting back to it. So I've, I love living here. It's beautiful and there's a great land base for agriculture. That's great. There's a lot more people at this table, and they're going to be joining us in a bit. But one reason the show came together as well is we have a guy that's running for Congress, uh, and we're going to school him a little bit. And, and I think it's important to have uh, you know people in, in the area who care about farming and, and beer and cider uh, express you know th their, their thoughts about what is important you know for, you know for the elected officials. And I, I've also know that not as many people are running for office anymore. So um, you know also Erica from Saratoga Apple, say hi to. Yeah, hi, Eric Darrow, Saratoga Apple. I'm uh, Nate Darrow's son, and uh, we uh, we come from a long line of uh, apple farmers, and as far back as we can trace is my six times grandfather, Jedediah Darrow, in 1784. It's uh, it's part of our our family history. So we uh, we like growing apples, and it's in our family, and and that's what we've been doing here at Saratoga Apple since '94. Uh, and then uh, many different family orchards since then in different areas. So Washington County is, is a special place. It's, it's an ag county. Let, let's everyone talk about what's so special about Washington County, you know, especially for people like from New York City and myself and what, why I should come up here, why I should buy your products. Michael, you want to give that a shot? Well, I think the whole region, Saratoga, northern Rensselaer, Washington County, it's uh, – sort of the eastern frontier of uh, agriculture in the United States. I mean, there are folks who I know in New Hampshire and Vermont, and uh, if they need a tractor part or something, they have to come to Washington County to, to get it, or they got to wait for the part to come from, you know, across the country or Japan or Germany, wherever their tractor was made. So we're fortunate enough to have uh, enough of the larger dairy farms and crop farms that support the agricultural infrastructure that allows smaller farmers like Ashley and myself to be able to farm. Um, without, without that infrastructure, the tractor supplies, the hardware stores, the feed dealers, slaughterhouses, auction barns, without all of that infrastructure, which Washington, Saratoga, um, Northern Rensselaer County still have, without that, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. So it's the, the whole region that supports that that makes this um, a really uni unique and, and vibrant agricultural area. 
And Matt, you know, you, your family, tell us about your family's background. You've been in this area a long time. You know, what, what type of farming they've done and what brought you to open a, a farm brewery here in this county? Sure. Um, my, my mom grew up in uh, Argyle, and uh, my dad grew up in the next town north in Hartford, all of Washington County, of course. And, um, and, and my, my mom's side of the family, we've been on the same land, uh, the last name is Little with D's, um, since the, the late 1700s. And very few of us have left the land over the years. Um, and my family goes back multiple generations of, uh, of actual uh, dairy farmers. A lot of my family is still in the uh, aspects of the dairy farming industry and what have you. Um, my parents were actually the first members of their family that did not go into agriculture. They met in x-ray school, which is good, so they met and here I am. Um, but, uh, and, and it's really too, um, you find that families in Washington County stick around, you know, especially in Argyle with the settlers, a lot of, a lot of uh, Scotch-Irish, a lot of mix and max and, and what have you, and it's just, uh, it's wonderful that, that feeling of, of, of family and camaraderie and, and the roots really do run so, so deep around here, you know, especially in the Northeast. And uh, it's just a, it's this overwhelming feeling of pride that I get knowing that we live in this area. And I mean, you, I walk out my door every morning and I just see the, the range of the foothills of Taconics right there. And, and we can walk out our door and look any direction around here and just see absolute natural beauty and, and beautiful farmed landscapes. And in this case, you know, apple orchards. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's heaven in my opinion. And Nate, what, what brought you here? Your family had apple orchards in yeah. Vermont for a long time. My uh, grandfather planted, my father expanded, and I expanded Green Mountain Orchards in Putney, Vermont. My brothers, Evan and Matt, run it now. And uh, <clears throat> I went off and did an investor project, planted 1,000 acres of Granny Smith in South Carolina. When I came back up north, I was interested in direct marketing, and I ended up coming over here and buying this orchard in Schuylerville, New York, came Saratoga Apple. And uh, <clears throat> Washington County, though, is some of my family uh, came from there generations ago in Hebron. I think of Washington County as, as New York's Vermont corner. It's very like Vermont. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a transplanted Vermonter. And uh, so Washington County is just so special. When most people think of New York, I mean, the city, and then you've got, okay, upstate is out of the city, but Washington County is a special little corner that it very much uh, resembles Vermont. All right, and Eric, uh, your, your son, Eric Dara, will you t tell us about the first cider that we're tasting so we can taste some of the product that you're making? Yeah, so previously I mentioned uh, my six times grandfather, Jedediah Darrow, and, and, and uh, this style, the scrumpy, which is, uh, scrumpy is actually an old English term used to describe locally made ciders made using very natural and traditional methods. And so this method of making cider here pays homage to, to the old school, very traditional style of hard cider. It's as natural of a hard cider as we can make. We use the natural yeast on the apples, no added sugars, no added sulfites. The running joke with the scrumpy is that no matter how hard we try, we never get a headache from it because of those reasons. Uh, but using these methods, you are gonna get a true dry, which is a super dry. And so for, for many American palates that, that like a sweeter cider, this one's gonna be too dry. And so our, our commercial uh, semi-sweet, that one is more popular, but there is a fierce following for the scrumpy that, that people that are trying to get away from the sweetness, get away from the sulfites, uh, and so those are the people that we make the scrumpy for, and, uh, and, and we, we do have a fierce following for it and people that really enjoy it. And I was looking for some backstory in Washington County, but your dad showed me the, the back label of 
of your cider. Would you, would you read the top of that to me? Yeah, so, so our story uh, that we put on the back of every bottle of our, of our hard cider uh, is, uh, is this. In 1784, Jedediah Darrow planted the first apple orchard in Washington County in the town of Hebron, New York. Seven generations later, the, Darrow con the Darrows continue the family tradition at Saratoga Apple, about 10 miles east of Saratoga Springs, New York. Our 200-acre farm with 40 acres of apple trees is in the heart of New York's apple country, a unique climate and soil where we nourish the orchard with rock dusts and sea minerals, allowing the trees to forage for all the micro-elements to grow full-spectrum healthy apples. Everybody knows you should eat an apple a day, but some of us prefer to drink them. We've enjoyed drinking our hard cider right along. Now you can too. Raise a glass with us to New York Hard Cider. All right, so there's really a guy, was a guy named Jedediah Tierra. And let's get everybody else. So uh, let's, we've got the guy who's running for Congress in this district, kind of inspired the show, talking about uh, everything from Cambridge all the way up to Malone, New York. Uh, please introduce yourself, sir. Hi, I'm Don Boyajin. I'm running for Congress in the 21st Congressional District. I'm a third-generation native of Saratoga County. Uh, I live in Cambridge, New York, in Washington County now. And uh, in my family's third generation in Saratoga County, my grandfather, he was actually a farmer in Saratoga County, came to the United States. Uh, you know, he knew a little bit about farming. He bought a sheep farm uh, on Hudson River Road, had a sheep farm, a couple hundred head of sheep, and a livestock auction. And he'd purchase calves often from uh, Washington County and then sell them at the, the auction. And, uh, you know, he loved it. It was never an, an easy life. And uh, so, you know, I'm a Saratoga County kid. I worked in Congress uh, as a legislative aide for a while, and I worked on environmental policy and agriculture policy, and I usually involve the agriculture appropriations every year, the spending that went to different USDA programs. And, you know, I'm an environmental and town attorney here for several towns in, in uh, upstate New York, and uh, I, I just love it here. Great, man. Thanks for coming on the show. And then, Matt, for you, um, you know, a big change in this region is now there's a place to go and get beer. <laughs> in Cambridge, you've got a tasting room. You've got a, a, the farm brewery operations in, in Greenwich, New York. And, you know, how, how has it been re received here? It's, it's been received very well. Um, and, and I'll tell you, our, our biggest fans are the ones that are live, live walking distance. And uh, it's great. We hardly actually, we don't do a lot of distribution. We mainly sell right out of our tap rooms. Um, and, it, and it's been great. And uh, we've been open for three and a half years now in Greenwich and about three months now in Cambridge. And I think the, the best part of it for me is I've made some of the best friends you could, you could ever imagine having, you know, through this industry. And you meet all kinds of people and hear their stories. And, and it's been working out really, really well for us. You know, that's what allowed us to open the second tap room. And, and we're real proud of that because we're actually using a building that st stood dormant for a long time. It's an old train depot, and it's a really fun space to have a, a tap room in and, and reusing the building. And, and I just have a great time when you have these people that have lived in the area for years and years and years walk into our Cambridge tap room, for example, and just look up in awe at just the... the ceiling height and the woodwork and it's just it's just really fun to be to be a part of that and to bring a smile to people's faces and to essentially share have them share aspects of our life with us these conversations where they have something bad happen in their life good happen wonderful times you know it's just it's just wonderful to be to be a part and kind of just woven into the the community and it's just it's the greatest feeling that's great. That's a big part of the New York Farm Brewery and Farm Cider license. Man, I know you brought some beer, and it's actually on tap here at, at the tap room at Saratoga Apple. <laughs> Eric, tell us uh, what, what, what program you have. You have beer and cider on tap. You know, you've really embraced uh, the local area. 
Yeah, so uh, we have a farm cidery, a New York State farm cidery license, which uh, allows us to not only produce and offer our own hard cider, but also other New York State uh, beers, ciders, wines, and spirits. And uh, some people get a little confused when you say New York beer, cider, wine, and spirit. They think that it only means that it was manufactured in New York State, but that's not necessarily true. Not only is it manufactured in New York State, with but with all, also upwards of almost 100% New York State grown ingredients. And so those are the only types of, of uh, alcohols, uh, wines, beers, and ciders that we can we can uh, offer. But that being said, there are some, there are numerous phenomenal breweries cideries, wineries, and distilleries all throughout New York State. Uh, and not only throughout New York State, but locally, like in Greenwich and Cambridge and, and Saratoga, uh, South Glens Falls. You could, Fort Ann. And Fort Ann, you know, just everywhere. He, so what, what are some of the beers that you have on tap here, some of the breweries from around the area? Yeah, so we have uh, Common Roots from South Glens Falls. We have Argyle Brewing Company from both Greenwich and Cambridge. Uh, R.S. Taylor's uh, and Sons Brewing, they're, they're very often on, on there. Uh, Artisanal Brew Works, they're just on the other side of Saratoga Springs on Geyser Road. Um, and, and all of them are pr producing some, some phenomenal beers and, and, and ciders, uh, all from New York State. Okay, Ashley, you're going to cover a little introductions, but, you know, you have a lot to say. You, you're, you're an outspoken person, so jump in and tell us what, what else should we should be talking about. Well... Say you're out of towner, like you, Jimmy. You want to come to a quiet corner. Washington County's great. I mean, there's beer places all over. You can go on a full-on brewery tour, which I did with, with my parents a couple weekends ago. And we went from Brown's Brewery in Hoosick to the Argyle Tap Room in Cambridge. And then we headed up to Hebron to the R.S. Taylor Brewery. And then we went to Fort Ann, and I feel real bad. I can't quite remember the name of that one. Is it Battle Hill, which has really nice beers, local ciders, um, including some of your cider, mm -hmm. and also cider from Slybro Cider Cidery. So there are quite a few local places you can drink and eat, which is great. Um, everybody's got a little bit of something to eat, except for Argyle, but... Maybe you'll get something soon. We, we, we get a we get food trucks luckily in Cambridge, so we've been uh, we've been fortunate every weekend to have a a food offering that uh, it's its own entity and uh, people can go out to the street side, grab food, bring it on in, and and at both of our locations, people are also more than welcome to you know order a pizza, have it delivered, or bring in. I've had whole picnic baskets come in before too, so it's nice to have that option as well. Yeah, that's great. And let's change it up, Michael and Ashley. You know, you guys are. You're, Michael's raising pigs and chickens. Ashley, you raise sheep now. Want to tell, tell us about a few things that, that are issues or maybe things that the government can help you with or things you don't want help with or anything else related to that as being a farmer? I think the government has an important role in agriculture. The food safety certainly um, can't be you know, understated. Um, I deal with them, the regulations related to slaughterhouses. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the one-size-fits-all makes the small small producer's life a little harder, or the small operator. Um, so I think that you know there's an important role for uh, the regulations, but making sure they're right-sized. There's a lot of research, a lot of great stuff that uh, USDA is doing uh, for 
rural communities and grants and research. Um, so I think there's a the USDA office in Greenwich is a you know very important part of the the community up here. Uh, I feel lucky to be farming in Washington County. Just I mean, there's a lot of great grass. I'm basically a grass operation. Uh, I also feel really lucky that. Mike Yezzie is here kind of plowing the way for us small farmers. Um, he makes runs to the city, which are really helpful for me. If I want to contact a client in the city, I'm able to send my meat with him. So he's really helpful um, and supportive. I also forgot to say the name of my farm is called Fortunate You. Since everyone here is sort of plugging their products, I'm going to too. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be coming to a place near you. Um, and the other day you showed me your rams. Yeah, I got some new beautiful rams that they're Texel rams and they're just these great big butterballs and I hope they're going to be producing some really butterballish uh, prodigy. And you weren't shy about talking about husbandry. So, well you mentioned something about how you control the the young males. Oh, okay. So, uh as men know Whatever you've said to me this weekend, I'm going to ask you. The show's going to go for two hours, guys. Don't worry. As mo you know, I, I like to keep my um, operation running pretty easy, so I like to keep all my animals together, men, uh, males, and females. So to keep the males from impregnating everyone, there's a simple procedure which they undergo at a very young age, which just involves their testicles being pushed up into their body and then their nuts elastrated so that the testicles never descend so the sperm is too hot to impregnate any use. So that's how we run all our animals together except for the rams. They stay with the herd for most of the year but between August and October live a, live a secular life. Don't get fresh <laughs> with her Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> And one time last year we did a poster for an event in New York City and Michael corrected that there was a drawing, there was a pig with a tail and I think it was missing some things. <laughs> right, it was, it was definitely, it was, a, it was a sow, not a boar. Um, yeah, I, I often say there's very few, there's very little uh, room on farms for intact males. Um, you know, you might have one bull and everybody else is, uh, it just causes trouble. So, uh, um, yeah. Good, a little bit of local color up here. Um, we're going to introduce a couple, couple more of our guests, and then we're going to change the battery out. This is going to be a long show. We're going to keep going, guys. A lot of good stuff here. So uh, next up, we have a chef who's working in the area. Hi, my name's Adam Bigelow. I'm with Nine Miles East Farm in Schuylerville, New York. And uh, what we like to do here is um, try and make our mission is to make local food available to uh, busy people. And not, not often... Um, is local and healthy food accessible to uh, everybody, especially um, professional people. And what, what our service does is we make prepared meals for uh, home and office delivery, both through a uh, subscription service and through also like kind of a food truck delivery uh, model where we have vans that go to people's workplace uh, at a set time each week. And they're able to uh, purchase uh, local healthy food made with local ingredients and sustainably sourced um, and responsibly sourced uh, proteins and vegetables. This is a great start, guys. We're going to have a lot to talk about. We're sitting on, what route is this, Nate? This is Route 29, about 10 miles east of Saratoga Springs. So here are some of the cars go by. We're sitting under an apple tree that actually the apples keep falling, and uh, it's bucolic, you know, pastoral setting. So let's take a short break. I'm going to change the batteries. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio.
1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we drove up here to Washington County. We're staying in Cambridge, New York. We've been to Greenwich. We're out here just over the border in Schuylerville, New York, at the Saratoga. Eric, what's the name of this place? Saratoga Apple, just 10 miles east of Saratoga Springs on Route 29 in Schuylerville, New York. And we're sitting in another great example of the New York Farm Brewery and Farm Cidery License. This is a U-Pick Apple place, and now they've got a tasting room with beer, cider, wine. And we're sitting outside under an apple tree by the road and having a great interview. So uh, let's get another guest. Uh, Jared, introduce yourself and what you're doing. I'm Jared Woodcock. I'm the Agriculture Coordinator for SUNY Adirondack. It's a small uh, community college in Glens Falls, Queensbury region. Uh, we also have a campus in Wilton as well. Um, what I do is develop ag programming. I'm a small farmer by heart and trade and uh, came on with the school three years ago to help them develop some agriculture programming. Great. And we've been talking about a lot of things. And uh, Matt, we just had uh, one of your beers. Which one was it? Oh, that was our, uh, our cute little blonde ale. I actually named it for my cute little blonde seven-year-old daughter. Um, and uh, it's, it's one of our uh, year-round offerings. It's just a nice, light ale. Um, we actually add a couple little adjunct malts in there so it doesn't thin out on the palate. Um, and we also on tap here we have our uh, summer shandy, our summertime offering, where we fuse our blonde ale with uh, organic lemonade to create a really light, refreshing, uh, or as we like to call them around here, lawnmower beers. Can we try that one next time? Absolutely. So some back backstory on this, this region. So when we talked to Don, who's running for Congress, he mentioned this district is huge. It goes all the way up to, to Malone in the north of of New York, I never knew that there was any farmland or anything above the Adirondacks. I thought it went right to Canada. And over the years, I've learned that, you know, Laura Ingle Wilder's uh, book, Farmer Boy, about her dad was set in Malone, New York in 1860. And friends of mine who, uh, the Siegel Hop Farms, uh, their great-grandfather in 1860 had hop farms up in Malone, and now uh, one of our Heritage Radio Network friends, Severin from the Greenhorns, has been based there with all these young farmers. So, you know, there's definitely something in common with, with your congressional district, Don. So why don't you tell us about a little background of, of this district and, you know, the, trying to connect it from Cambridge to Malone and just how big this district is. And a lot of America's like that. Big, big states, farming regions have, must have really big congressional districts. This is the largest congressional district in New York State. It encompasses 12 counties. Its southern border is uh, 
kind of southern parts of Saratoga County, Fulton County. It goes to the Vermont border on the east, all the way up to the Canadian border at the north, and it goes right to Lake Ontario on the west. Uh, it's, it's a rural district. Um, it has a lot of agriculture, but different types of agriculture in, in different parts. Um, so, you know, a lot of people not necessarily from here would say, oh, it's just a big rural part of New York, but its needs are diverse. And, uh, you know, our border with Canada is a particularly relevant part to, uh, the, to industry in the district, our relationship with Canada, our trade deals, and ensuring that our trade deals uh, benefit, you know, not just agriculture as a whole, but, you know, our smaller farmers as well, because in many instances those trade deals can disproportionately benefit uh, bigger farms and leave the smaller farmers behind. So it's a, it's a diverse area with diverse needs. You know, a lot of people think of northern New York and think the Adirondacks go right up to the top, but they don't. You go, you go up north and, it, and it's back to, uh, you know, non-mountainous farm country and uh, hard-working people and, uh, it's, you know, it's diverse and it's wonderful. Let's keep talking about the, the history of this region. Matt, I know your family's been here a long time. Yeah, uh, uh, both of my families, my mom and my dad, said have been here a long time. Um, you know you've been here a long time when there are roads named after your, your family and lanes and what have you. Uh, and also the fun part around here is that I don't think any of us know all the road names around here because at some points kids steal the road signs. So it's very landmark-versed around here, which is nice as well. And um, and it's just it's just a great a great place to live and, and the people that come through here. And... And it's also been really fun because in Washington County, Saratoga County, just upstate agriculture, um, agritourism has been booming uh, thanks to the, the craft cider, the craft beverages, uh, the, the small farms, the farmers markets. And it, it's really just, just starting to boom around here. And then people on, on the side note are really starting to experience a lot of the historical aspects of the area, whether they're checking out uh, architecture or doing a historical walk through one of the towns or just, uh, you know, I know good friends of mine are reenactors around here. I mean, the, the Battle of Saratoga happened is, you know, a few miles from where we're sitting right now. And it's just it's just a, a great place that offers something for everyone, whether you're in the craft industry or, or, or agritourism or history buff or just want to just go for a nice drive in the country where your, your worst fear are the... the uh, well, the deer that like to run out in front of you. Um, you know, we just, that's why we take it a little slower out here, too. Those deer are awful. Um, but it's a, it's a nice thing. It's a nice way to live. Um, yeah, Matt, you say, tell us where you went to college and what, and what you studied. Sure. I, I actually went up to Paul Smith College. It's near Lake Placid um, back in the late 90s. And my degree was actually in uh, urban tree management. Um, not really utilizing the major, but what it did was it set me on the path to the person that I am now. And, uh, and it just led me to different stages in my life that led me to get into home brewing, that led me into, you know, competing a lot and, and opening a brewery and just and just loving life and and that and when I was up at college that was the I went there for two years and that's the longest I've ever lived outside of of this area um, you'll be dragging me out of here you know kicking and screaming if I ever have to leave which I'll never have to leave have you ever been to New York City I have actually I, it's, I am that's a little bit of dirt I know about him yeah, <laughs> I, I am 38 years old and ha have yet to go to New York City uh, I, I have not seen it, and, and uh, it sounds like an awesome place, and everyone tells me it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it down there. I've had many offers of, of, of places to stay and check out, including you, Jimmy. Thank you. Um, but I, I've always uh, I, I, I 
my graduating high school class was 36 students, and we were one of the biggest classes at the time. And uh, uh, the, the, definitely intimidated by the the tall buildings and all the people and the crowds. I think I, I have a feeling I'd be the guy in the street in the fetal position, rocking back and forth or something. <laughs> well, it's easy. You, you can you can kind of judge north and south by landmarks. You know, some tall buildings. And then Jared, a little, a little more from you. I think this is going to be a, a long show that we're going to edit, so we're really going to talk everybody out here. Uh, Jared, tell us more about what you do. Are you involved in, in farm policy? You know, some of the details of your job and observations about this this region. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of jack of all, master of none. Um, small farmer, uh, homesteader, three or four generations um, out of farming, um, but everyone's raised their own food right up until through me. About five generations in the Cambridge area, uh, born, raised, never left kind of joke, but left for a little while and came back to raise my family. Um, one thing I notice when I travel around is and come home is sort of the feeling, the energy, and it seems kind of voodoo and kind of hippie, and one of, one of Nate's good buddies of mine, or mutual friends of ours, David Yarrow, he talks a lot about earth energies, and when you actually look at topo maps of Cambridge and you see that the glaciers came down and dropped all of its best soil right in our valley, that's not voodoo or hippie. It's legit good farmland, and it's so good it forces the river to turn back north right there. So it's kind of a cool spot, and right now I live down in Shushan and right below Mike Yezzy's house, right where that river switches north. So it does have a cool energy, and it's a great place to raise your kids. Um, my current work is with, you know, as I said, developing ag programming for the community college, and that's sort of a generic thing. Um, we do everything from, you know, Nate's hosting some apple pruning classes and propagation classes, things like that. We also do, uh, this last week, we hosted... Apples are dropping from the tree right around us. <laughs> Almost knocking us out. It seems like a waste. Um, yeah, we, last week we hosted Arm to Farm. It's a national farmers veteran, uh, or military veteran farmer training course. It's put on by the NCAT, which is the National Center for Appropriate Technology, and the Cornell Small Farms Program. We're the third and final stop in New York State, and it went really well. Um, due to driving constraints, we focus pretty much all of our energy in Argyle, which is a very small town in, um, up in Washington County. It's also a dry town, and it's also where his town's brewery is named after. But um, as funny as it is, one of the farmers there was joking and said, there's not really anything in Argyle. Well, except for a slaughterhouse and beef farmers and dairy farmers and pretty much everything you could ever need to live except for stores and roads and infrastructure. So it's kind of beautiful in that sense. Ashley, you want to say more about this region? Oh, I, I really like what Jared just had to say. And I like living here because of the natural beauty and just the things that you actually really need are here. You can live a very simple life, eating clean food, eat, drinking local things. It's, it's beautiful and it is a good place to raise your kids. It's just a nice place to be. Years ago, I advocated against fracking in New York because I, I, I thought that everyone thinks of Vermont as being pure, whether it's their maple syrup, and then they had all these great breweries. And uh, my biggest impetus was that, wow, New York has so much great farmland and so much great products. You know, why tarnish the image? You don't have to talk about fracking, but what is it about Vermont versus New York? And, and you know, everyone thinks Vermont is beautiful and pastoral, and not everyone has that same image of New York. Well, you know, I think, Jimmy, a lot of people, there's an urban perspective that, you know, on the other side of the Hudson River is uh, the Midwest or is upstate is kind of this unknown area. But as a farmer, you're really aware that 
New York is a gigantic farming state, and New York is tall and it is broad. In other words, you can drive six hours north-south on the, on the throughway, and you can drive six or more hours east-west, and it's just a gigantic state. And um, many people don't know that New York is the number two apple producer in the country behind only Washington State. And Washington State has some special reasons for being so big. They've got this highland desert, which once it got irrigated with, you know, subsidized federal irrigation projects, it, it was ideal land for growing apples. But New York is a farming colossus, and people in the city sometimes don't realize that. Well, I know we've, we've had a... a a lot of great beers in New York State. New York State Brewing's come a long way in the last even five years. And cider, I don't think people realize, uh, you know, just how much really good cider is being made in, in New York State. Um, one thing about your cider, I feel like that uh, we've discussed the, the fact that, and I'm just talking off the cuff, but that you know, there's some, you know, award-winning or highly recognized cider makers in the state that only making very small amounts. But I feel like the new trend is a lot of longtime apple growers like yourself who are getting into the, the hard cider market. Well, you're right, Jimmy. Uh, I think, I mean, we got our license a couple years ago, and then about a year ago I was told that there were maybe 60 or 70 licensed cider makers, and there were another 60 or 70 in the pipeline. So a lot of people may be coming to it a year or two later, but New York can really be the, the Napa Valley of cider making, partly because the apple industry in New York is, is, very, uh, is very diverse and we have a lot of different varieties. Um, and because of that, maybe we need a few more special cider varieties, uh, but New York has so many different kinds of apples and with our climate. Uh, this is not Highland Desert. Uh, it rains a lot, and uh, and we have fabulous flavor in our apples. So I really think that New York has the potential for being the best cider-producing area in the country. So a lot, a lot of these ciders that, that are coming from longtime growers like um, 1911, 9-Pin, you guys, Embark, out, out by Rochester, you think that they're only going to get better? Oh, yeah. I mean, I keep tasting ciders that surprise me. The, with uh, that, how different they are, uh, and there are many different ways of making an apple hard cider. Uh, my personal preference is is toward drier ones, partly because it's easier to to not put sulfites in uh, if you if you have a dry cider. Uh, but you know, that's a whole that's a whole another issue. <clears throat> then another issue is, is bring, getting food to market in, in the city. And we'll get to that when, when Michael Yezzi gets back. But, you know, for, for beer, uh, Matt, you know, I think it's great that there's so many new, new breweries and it's like you're, you're tapping the local market. You, you've got places to go. Are there other, like, you know, international or, you know, national, you know, culty craft beers that, that inspire you guys? Or are you guys just trying to make what you, what you can here with, with what you have available? Really, really what inspired us was, was kind of when we opened up three and a half years ago was was kind of going against the trend. A lot of the smaller craft breweries were creating huge adjunct beers and, and, and hoppier beers and, and strong alcohol beers. And we wanted to kind of hone it in as a small brewery and, and, and kind of bring it back to just nice, you know, low ABV um, a low alcohol session beers. So our beers range anywhere from four and a half to five and a half percent on average. A lot of our, a lot of our usual, you know, 
beers that we have. And, and that was really our, our inspiration. And it's nice to have people come in and say thank you for making just low alcohol beers. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're in it, you know, of course, you know, running a business and everything. We're in it to, to uh, survive and, 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 you know, feed our families and what have you. But really important thing for us is being not so much a successful business, but being part of the community. Um, we do multiple fundraising events throughout the year for Breast Cancer Research Foundation, the local food pantry, um, just to name a couple. And and that's really was was the best part of it was was being a part of the community and and having that that pride. I mean, Greenwich is is you know one town away from the town I grew up in, and it just it feels really good to give back and, and I also love the, the irony of our last conversation because from where I'm sitting I'm I'm look I'm sitting in Saratoga County looking at Washington County looking at Vermont as well Equinox Mountain and Merrick Mountain in the distance which is really a, a cool thing about this area as well wait you're good man you just painted a nice picture of us for the radio Jared so sitting here at this table with these farm brewers has made me think about policy a little more and one of the things as sort of a small town boy is I prefer it when the government gets out of the way and with the new farm brewing license it's essentially a symbolic way of getting out of the way and it's put us on the map I'm working with a guy from the Midwest right now who is looking at expanding some businesses in New York because of the farm brewing license I mean I feel like if you're a politician and you want to put things on the map figure out ways to empower farmers and allow them to not have to worry if a bureaucrat's gonna drive in their door have them like proactively do the right thing and allow them the room to do it. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and and it, it total, from the politician's uh, viewpoint, it, it totally makes sense in terms of, of the uh, added tax revenue and also it's promoting uh, more farming of these ingredients that are going to be used in, 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 in these beers and ciders. Uh, and to sum it up, uh, we were at, we were at um, a cider association meeting and uh, one of the politicians he uh, he was presenting to us, and he said, "You know, the governor the governor used to tell me that I was Mr. No Man, but now he tells me I'm Mr. Yes Man." <laughs> that was the commissioner of the alcoholic beverage. <laughs> and, and and the other thing too, what I really like. Um, we came in kind of on the ground floor. The, the farm brewery legislation was in its infancy. It was less than a year old when we came in. We were the 22nd, in, uh, 22nd or 23rd farm brewery uh, in the state. And, and it's, it's ballooned up uh, past the century mark now, which is great to see. It brings in the tourism and everything like that. But also what I really appreciate about the focus being on the smaller brewery, we deal with the smaller farms. We for our hops, for our malt. I mean, we had a, we have maltsters and we have hop farms popping up everywhere around here. But also, what it did was, it gave it gave the little guys a chance, the little breweries a chance to essentially not to sound all Disney right now, but to follow their dreams and achieve their their goals and everything, um, and, and do it in a way that we can actually do it. It's not, it wasn't unreachable financially and, and we didn't have to open up as a juggernaut. We opened up as a little tiny uh, three and a half barrel brew house and, um, and we would not have been able to do that without the, the farm brewery legislation and, and essentially giving us that, that chance. So we, we've all had a chance to talk a little bit. I'm going to open it up as like Jared just did. If you guys have questions or points you want to make, this is a good time to do it and we'll probably go back and e edit some of this stuff out. Don. I think you guys are hitting the nail on the head. We should be, uh, the state and the federal government should be incentivizing farmers to get get the regulations out of the way so they can uh, 
you know, grow and expand and, and do what they're doing. But what are the biggest frustrations you're seeing either on the state level or the federal level, regulatory or otherwise? What are some of the things that are constant themes of frustrations or otherwise? So regulation, regulation, regulation. And, and as it was said earlier, regulation can be a good thing for, for, for many different uh, avenues and, and aspects, but there's also uh, sometimes it can feel like it, there's over-regulation and, and sometimes it can feel like you're, you're, you're being herded down a tunnel that you have to follow and uh, following many different regulations. And not only that, but also uh, regulations can change every, almost every year. And, and so it's, it's difficult to be a farmer that you're trying to take care of your crops and, and your herds and, and, and different farming business and stay on, on top of the trend of, of what you can and can't do, uh, and especially being so close to, to Albany regulatory offices, uh, we, we, we often see uh, inspectors and, and people that come and check on us, which, which is a good thing, but you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to always stay on top of exactly what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. Uh, and so in, in that sense, it, it, would, uh, it would be nice to have somebody that's, that's, that helps us uh, understand exactly what we're supposed to be doing when. And Nate? Well, you know, on the same, on the same vein, when you think of a, a farmer entrepreneur or an, an entrepreneur should be trying to figure out how to grow a business and you know, I'm getting a couple of gray hairs and Eric's interested in the business and sometimes it seems like we spend more than half our time sweating our butt on how to stay in compliance with a lots of rules and regulations. So instead of thinking about how to grow your business, you're sweating whether you are in compliance on a lot of little details and keeping all these logs and stuff. And, and that's a little bit of a, a disincentive. I mean, I, at my age, I can say, well, if it gets any worse, to hell with it, I'll retire. But the younger generation uh, is, supposed to, is supposed to have a world of hope where they can imagine themselves uh, coming into this world and living that way and not have to be worried about how to stay in compliance on 15 different subjects. And a good, so a good example of this, uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about an example on the farm, but so uh, recently I, I joined the volunteer fire department and I was reading an article about, it, it wasn't in New York State, it was in a different state, but uh, blue emergency blue lights and they were ta they were talking about the regulation on emergency lights on your vehicle and and a news reporter did did a, a special on it and, and did a um, an investigation and they found out that a lot of the city vehicles were actually had illegal emergency lights and those are those were city officials in in this article uh, that were and and when they were asked about it they said oh we didn't have any idea that we were, were not in compliance with this regulation I feel like that's kind of what we deal with was we want to be in compliance uh, all the time, and, and we are uh, as much as we can, but then it's always changing, and sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, uh, we got to change this because they changed the regulation, so we have to change to become to, to get into compliance. And so it's, it's a constant battle, which, which, as Nate said, sometimes it feels like you're dedicating a lot more time to that than actual farm work and, and growing the business as, as a farmer feels like they should. That's great, and Michael's back. We're getting talking a little more about policy and, and, and government. Michael, on the way over, you, we were as I asked you about farm policy, and you mentioned immigration. You want to talk about that? You know, in terms of federal policies and how it impacts farmers. 
Well, I think Nate's really the one to talk about immigration farm policy. He has a long-standing relationship with some folks, but I'll let him speak to it more than I can. Nate, you want to talk about uh, one federal, you know, policy that seems yeah, to be yeah, relevant we, to the farmers? Is we do have, we do have uh, H two foreign workers from Jamaica helping us uh, during the harvest season, and uh, in fact, you could almost say that the apple industry in the Northeast leans heavily on Jamaican workers who come in with work permission on the H2, H2A foreign worker program, temporary seasonal harvest workers. And uh, the federal, it's, it's a federal and state inspected program and the paperwork is quite extensive, but it, it basically works for us. And but I think the dairy farmers are not happy with it because they are not deemed to be seasonal enough and uh, they would like to see expansions. And then everybody doesn't really like the paperwork. I mean, we hire a consultant to help us with the paperwork because it's onerous. But the workers, the same workers come back every year pre-trained and so that's why we love it. So Don, you said part of your experience has been an attorney for, for farmers in, in this district. Yeah, I'm an environmental attorney and town attorney for several towns. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the the concerns of the dairy farmers, with because there's uh, there's no exception for non-seasonal work. And what he's referring to is the H-2A visas. They only cover seasonal workers. Well, dairy farmer, the workers there, they're they're you know they're doing their thing all year long. So the H-2A program doesn't cover that necessarily, and that creates a problem uh, for those farms. And, and that's led to other complications with people working here not necessarily under the H-2A program and with all those complications with uh, undocumented workers. But th that, that needs to be addressed because you know, the dairy farmers, they need people working all year long. And that's not currently uh, covered under the H-2A program, to my knowledge. Great. And let's talk, again, more questions. We're going to edit this. If anyone has questions for anyone else, this is a good time to do it. I have a question for Michael. Michael, um, you know, you've... You've been able to sell in New York City in restaurants and, and green markets. Do you want to give a little you know, overview of, of how that works for you? And maybe it's a model for other farmers, or is it a model? So back in 2001, I um, was fortunate enough to get into the uh, green markets, farmers markets. Um, first one I did was in, in Brooklyn. And one of my first customers was Mary Cleaver, who's one of the pioneering chefs in the farm-to-table local sustainable uh, food movement in New York and so on the East Coast. Um, and so she was a early customer and supporter and then I uh, was quickly fortunate to get connected with Peter Hoffman and the two of them sort of mentored me in uh, understanding what restaurants need and how to deal with them and they were very understanding of uh, my limitations and so I would drop off a frozen shoulder to Peter after I finished my Saturday farmers market so at five o'clock in the afternoon just as he's getting ready for service and he gets this 30 pound frozen block of meat and which does no good to him for at least two or three days till it thaws out so he was willing to put up with that and uh, you know over time started selling he was one of the first customers who started buying whole sides and uh, 
And so working with him and others uh, got introduced into the, the restaurants and meanwhile added other farmer's markets. So now we're doing uh, six farmer's markets on a weekend and deliver to 14 or 15 restaurants. Um, but, you know, my, it's a long drive. I do some drop-offs and on the way down. So it takes me four or five hours to get to the city, and I get in you know, early Friday morning. Um, restaurant deliveries and farmer's markets on Friday, more farmer's markets on Saturday, stay overnight, more farmer's markets on Sunday, and then I come home. So I try to get as much as I can in the, uh, in the trip down. And so the other part of that is farmer's markets. And, you know, the folks in New York City really appreciate what we have up here um, and uh, are very supportive of, uh, of upstate farms and regional farms. So I'm very fortunate. So the two of those, um, you know, make it, make it a going concern. Jared? So Mike reminded me of another issue I feel, I'm going to always circle back to policy, is um, he, he said his mentorship with the restaurant was a big deal. I think mentorship is a huge deal. It, um, there are a lot of farmers out there who started in internships and apprenticeships, and pretty much all of them were illegal, and no one knows. I mean, unless you've spoken with a lawyer or you've taken a course on it, most of our apprenticeships are, and internships are illegal according to the standards. But we want them. We, as the apprentices, want them. Um, there's, in other countries, and, and in the U.S., there's um, formal apprenticeship programs for trade work. And I don't want to take farming and necessarily call it a trade because it's so much more complex than that. But is there a way we can find some sort of regulatory process so we can actually have real formal apprenticeships? I mean, we can be potentially as farmers willing to pay people who are going to commit a long term um, to us more than that basic minimum wage or more than we'd be able to pay seasonal workers. Can you explain why, how they're illegal, uh, Jared? Is it because they're not being paid minimum wage during an initial training period or what? Um, it, it's, it's fairly complex. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but basically there is a very low commitment hour-wise and a lot, most interns, unpaid interns, cannot do anything that provides income to the farm. Um, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but there's, there's a bunch of regulations that kind of dumb it down and it really limits. I mean, your, your, your interns can't go to the farmer's market and that's what they want to learn. Everyone can learn how to grow at fairly rapid rates. We've been doing it for millennia, but to go to a fresh on top farmer's market in New York City and learn how to hustle is something you got to learn from somebody else. Uh, I haven't learned to hustle that much yet, but I have felt really well, just as a beginning farmer, um, coming into the business, I've been helped along a lot by Cornell Cooperative Extension, um, and luckily other people that will share their experiences um, also through other programs offered in New York State, such as the Beginning Farmer, Women's Farmer Program by Holistic Management really helped me kind of define what I want to do and how I want to get it to market um, so I don't go crazy. And, it's and then you were part of a co-op too. I mean, I know, Michael, you guys at one point were part of a, a farm co-op up here, and then later there was the Adirondack Grazers Co-op. Does anyone want to talk about the co-op experience? Is that good for farmers getting their product to market? I think it's. I think the co-op experience can really work. Uh, I think a lot of people have to get on the same page. Um, it's a lot 
to wrangle farmers together. Everyone's got pretty, pretty strong personalities, and everybody has to spend a lot of time farming. Uh, so having collective marketing is a good idea, but I haven't seen it work out that well yet. Many a stumble. <laughs> well, there we had we many a stumble. We had a co-op and. Um, <clears throat> Mike Yezzy was one of the main founders of it, but and uh, and I hesitate to criticize because I mean we sent a little product down, but I never took any kind of leadership role. Uh, but at some point, uh, the co-op structure didn't work out, and uh, and Mike pulled out, and he was the key member. I remember when that happened, I thought, uh oh, that doesn't seem like the best thing, but. There is a lot of things that can go wrong with co-ops, and and uh, but they can they can work out and go right. I think the co-op model is one that's over the years has shown great success. I mean, there's Agrimark and there's you know growers co-ops and various uh, various products. Um, when you're dealing with small farmers, as Elsie said, there's a very independent streak among them, so getting them to agree on things can be challenging. Uh, but there are ways you can structure the organizations, and um, uh, the, a few years ago we were fortunate enough to get a Ag and Markets grant to start uh, Farm to Chef and uh, farms in Rensselaer, Saratoga, and Washington County uh, were able to coordinate uh, product availability through a coordinator, send it down to chefs in New York City. Um, get some get the orders, consolidated delivery down, consolidated billing, um, all which were helpful because uh, you're getting economies of scale on delivery. It's very expensive for every farmer to have a truck and every farmer to take the time to drive to New York City. Um, but there, are, you know, like I said, there's some structural things that uh, caused it to not thrive and. Uh, so I think you can, but I think they're easily fixed. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a promising, it's a promising model. But you need to find people who wanna, who wanna work together. Jared, I think of co-ops as sort of forced succession. You know, you have a meadow, grows weeds, grows bushes, and it grows trees. When you have a good co-op, you have to embrace the fact that throughout history, most co-ops have outgrown themselves, and that's okay. But when you get to that outgrowth point where a lot of your members are successful, like Flying Pigs Farm, it's okay to dissolve and don't take it personally. And if you need another co-op to fill that beginner marketing void, then go for it. And that, that was one of the issues is that success, um, you know, if you succeed by one of the goals was to connect the farmers with the chefs and as they grow and eventually um, you'd move on beyond the co-op and that's a difficult uh, long-term business model to be uh, when success is putting yourself out of business. Um, but there's enough people coming on, but that requires, you know, product development, finding other farmers, farmer development, uh, and pulling that all together. And so that has to be as much a part as sales uh, to make sure that there's someone replacing the folks who have who have grown and, and moved on to their own deliveries. Um, so there are definitely challenges, but you know we can identify them, and I think you know folks like at this table, there's enough brain power to figure out solutions um, to these things. 
So, you know, there's farmers markets, there, there's co-ops. You know, what are other ways that you guys are promoting what, what you're doing? Nate, the other night you showed me the Washington County Fairgrounds. Is, is, is that a, a draw for the, this area? Is that helping farmers? Well, you know, the Washington County Fairgrounds is a, it's a wonderful, gigantic country fair. And one of the reasons, I mean, it's, it's just still, some fairs have fallen by the wayside, and the Washington County Fair has gotten bigger and better, and it's an amazing spectacle with the things like the hot rod tractors <laughs> and the hot rod trucks. I mean, I love it. But, <laughs> but I wanted to make a comment about customers if you'll if you'll let me because to whatever extent that any of us have had a little bit of success it's really because of our wonderful customers and and I'm thinking of people maybe listening to a program like this and think well how do I fit in customers make it all possible now we go to some farmers markets where where the customers have waited and they're in there seriously purchasing their food for the week and they buy from us and then they say see you next week i love that when they say see you next week we go to other farmers markets sometimes in towns that are perhaps more prosperous and have more purchasing power and it seems like some of the customers come through the market maybe they buy a little of this and a little of that but they already bought everything they needed in some other stores and they're thinking of the market as a pretty little thing that they can go and walk through and isn't it nice that we have our own farmers market but it doesn't work if for the farmer if they don't buy their groceries there <laughs> and so it's kind of like a political statement or a commitment whatever money you have in your life that you are directing and, and and they say that everyone handles a fortune during the course of their lifetime <laughs> uh, whatever money that you are redirecting and making your purchases with this these are kind of political decisions and when you choose to buy from a farmer you are enabling that farmer to go on and respend that money and have a multiplier effect in the rural economy and when you choose to buy from the large surface store you're making a different political decision and uh, and that's your right to do it but I, I I love it when we come across these conscious consumers who are very consciously and deliberately shopping at the farmers market and that's all in addition to the fact that I mean I think that at the farmers market is where they're gonna get a much much higher quality of food and where they can really find out how it was produced and produced right and Adam, you know, as a chef who's, who's, you know, you're cooking around here, you're doing a pop-up here on the weekends at, at Saratoga Apple. You want to talk about farms you buy from or, your, you know, your philosophy? Sure, yeah. Our philosophy uh, is to, uh, like I said before, to make the, um, the local food the easy choice uh, for people. And I found uh, in my professional work uh, as well as, you know, everything else is if you make something, the e the, if you make the right way, the easy way, for people to do something, that's the way they're going to do it. And uh, to me, the right way to eat food is to eat it local and to support your local people, uh, your local farmers. And uh, like uh, Nate was just uh, expounding on with the uh, allowing the farmer to reinvest uh, that local money and keeping kind of the, the really a nice flow and balance uh, to makes me feel great about, you know, my community when uh, people are kind of 
you see the same people uh, time and time again, like Nate said, where the people say, see you next week. And we get that down here at the Orchard. Um, we do a pop-up restaurant every weekend uh, down here uh, in conjunction with their tasting room, the cider tasting room. And it really brings a lot of uh, like local um, and discerning people in here. And you see a lot of the same people every single week, uh, time in and time again. And we get to do a lo uh, different menu each week, which is a lot of fun for the chefs to whatever we're growing you know, at, at the time, we have our own farm just up the road, about a mile away from here. And uh, whatever we're picking that week is, is what we're gonna do. If, if we wanna do, you know, squash blot, fried squash blot, some pizza uh, for one week, we can do that. And then, you know, a little bit later in the season uh, and just really expose our customers to what's in season, what's local, what's fresh. People often ask me, what's your favorite kind of food to cook? You've been, you're a chef, you know? And I say, you know, whatever's, fresh and you know if it's like the freshest seafood I can get my hands on or if it's you know that squash that we just picked out of the uh, out of the field you know 20 minutes ago you know talking about you know farm to table I remember back in 2005 or 6 and in New York City everyone wanted to buy from the green markets and and so many chefs were talking about using local ingredients but I'm seeing a big change in New York City where you know it's like the LA influence menu it's, it's avocado toast on every everyone's menu where are avocados from and a lot of the younger people are interested in you know types of cuisine or single item dishes like dumplings but I don't really hear people talking as much about farm to table in the city as they used to but one of the great things up here i've, I've heard you guys talking about this um who wants to talk about that farm to table is it still relevant you know it's a big question farm co-ops i mean we can talk about a couple more things we'll break down we're go jared real briefly we did a feasibility study to see how we could better serve washington county and one of our consultants on our tour said it sounds like to better serve your farmers you just need to create more eaters so back to policy, maybe if policymakers folks were keeping that in the front of their brain versus how do I serve this farmer? How do I fix a problem? It's potentially how do I stimulate my economy? How do I enhance their product in a way that it, you know, get the consumers out there interested in it? Don. I just want to say something going back to before. And I think, you know, the government plays a hand in some choices, but a lot of things come down to personal individual choices and Nate was talking about it where you choose to get your food from and I just I think it all goes back to community and I can't emphasize it enough you gotta buying local you'll never regret it you never will it tastes better it's better for you you're supporting supporting local businesses and you know you're, you're strengthening your community and I don't know if everybody realizes that at the end of the day and that's just something that feels good it's not something that you can really regulate. It's a personal choice, but I just—I think it's something that can't be underemphasized. And I think people are growing more in tune to that, but can't hurt to spread the word as much as possible. Great. We kind of extended this show. We're going to edit it down, but we've covered a lot of. I think we've talked ourselves out. Anything anybody else wants to say? We've had some great ciders from Saratoga Apple Hard Cider and some beer from Argyle Brewing. Um, anyone wants to say anything else, Eric? I'll piggyback off of what Adam was saying about uh, the collaboration, the pop-up dinners that uh, Nine Miles East Farm and Saratoga Apple do at Saratoga Apple. Um, we do, uh, for any of you listeners that are interested, we do that every Friday and Saturday night. Check that out on social media, Nine Miles East Farm, Facebook and Instagram, and Saratoga Apple, and Saratoga Apple Hard Cider social media. We update the menu every week. And in response uh, to your comment about regulation, I guess to clarify what I was saying about enhancing eaters' experiences, 
I'm not saying regulate anything, deregulate, it's fine with me, but like the farm brewer license, what it did was it wasn't let's just enable small people to brew. It said let's enable small people to brew so that they buy ingredients from New York State farmers so that the consumers who are drinking that alcohol, because it's a great gateway to local products, know that it came from New York State farms and it enhances our, you know, right on this label, pride of New York brand. Those types of things. Think creatively, but keep that in the front of your mind that how is this going to help the eaters? Because there are way more eaters than there are farmers. Great. Let's uh, just everyone go around again and just say your name and your affiliation. Yes. Nate Darrow, Saratoga Apple, Schuylerville, New York. Adam Bigelow with Nine Miles East Farm in Schuylerville. Don Boyajan, I'm a congressional candidate in the 21st Congressional District in New York. Uh, Matt Stewart, one of the owners of Argyle Brewing Company, uh, Greenwich and Cambridge, New York. Ashley Bridge, also one of the farm owners of Fortunate U Farm. Eric Darrow, Saratoga Apple, Schuylerville, New York. Jared Woodcock, Agriculture Coordinator for SUNY Adirondack. Mike Yazzie, Flying Pigs Farm. This has been a great show. And Nate, what, uh, what route are we on right now? We're on Route 29. Goes from Saratoga Springs to Greenwich and Cambridge, New York. And this is a... As you can hear, it's a very well-trafficked road. We get a high traffic count. So it's bucolic and passable. And Matt, give us the landscape again, looking behind us. Oh, we get the bonus right here. We're sitting in Saratoga County. Looking at more of Saratoga, Washington County, and uh, Equinox Mountain, the uh, highest mountain, ironically enough, in the Taconic Range, but sitting in Vermont. Well, this is great, man. You guys have the life, and uh, it's been my pleasure coming up here, and we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.